Okay. All right. Well, good to be here again with you guys as we uh, think about um, the Gospel of Mark, Jesus in living color, trying to get to see who Jesus really is uh, through the Scriptures and through the lens of the Bible, uh, which we believe uh, is the inspired Word of God. That's maybe outdated in our culture, but we believe that, um, that God has revealed Himself uh, through the ages, not just in creation. He's created everything. But ultimately, He's spoken. And uh, He's spoken through the ages uh, to the prophets, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And ultimately, He's shown up uh, here on this earth in the person of Jesus Christ. And so we have the testimony of all that prophecy uh, in 66 books, which is called the Bible or the canon of God's Word. And so uh, that's what we're going to look at tonight, specifically in Mark chapter uh, 3. Uh, is where we're going to be. And uh, this is an interesting story. Um, I really like war movies. And uh, in fact, we were just talking about maybe some of us might watch Band of Brothers tonight. So if you would like to be involved with that, let us know. Um, But uh, I really like Saving Private Ryan, uh, Band of Brothers, uh, Thin Red Line, Platoon. I mean, there's lots of great war movies. Um, Bridge Over the River Kwai. Anybody ever seen that? That's an oldie. Dirty Dozen. Okay. you know, and I guess what I like about them is it, it's, you know, these military units come together. There's all kinds of like ragtag people, you know, there's like smart people, there's uneducated people, there's like white collar people, blue collar people, and they're all put together in this band. Some, some of them get on each other's nerves. Uh, some of them have all kinds of like issues. Um, and then what you see in most of these movies is they all kind of come together. And they come together because there's a, a mission greater than themselves. You know, there's something out there. We got to go destroy that bridge, or we got to go um, in there and take out those, you know, officers in that room, or whatever it is. And because of that, you know, focus, they all come together, and they end up. Usually, at the end of the movies, they become good friends because they've they've been through all kinds of things. They've been through all kinds of scrapes, and and uh, and now they're they're all together. And to some extent, uh, the passage we're looking at today is the beginning of Jesus's. Uh, com- command commission to his apostles, and to some extent, it's almost like a ragtag, dirty dozen group of guys. Okay, and so we're going to look at that in this passage today. So if you have your Bibles, or you can read up here, uh, we're going to look at some of these guys and, and some of these names. So um, here, here, God's word. Um, and what? And he went up on the mountain, Jesus, and called to to him those who, whom he desired. And they came to him, and he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach. And he gave authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Cananean, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. Okay, this ends the reading of God's Word. All right, and the main point I want to bring out 
from this is that Jesus is calling all kinds, all kinds of people to be a part of His mission. And uh, the first thing we see is He's gathering ultimately a people for Himself. And what we see here is the beginnings of the church. The beginning structure of the church. And it says here in 13 and 14, He went up on the mountain and He called to Him those whom He desired. And they came to Him and He appointed twelve whom He named apostles so that they might be with Him and He might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Okay. Alright, so here it is. Jesus is about something. He's about something all through the Scriptures. And He's a builder. Okay? He's ultimately about building the church. Okay, now not with stone, not, you know, not like, you know, here's the church, here's the steeple, open it up and here's all the people. Okay, it should be, you know, here's the church, here's the steeple, the church is the people. You know what I mean? Jesus is building people. He is bringing people together uh, to be part of His body. And uh, in Matthew later on, uh, Jesus says this, I will build My church and the gates of Hades or the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The church is what Jesus is all about. The church is what He has been been doing since before you and I were even born, since the foundation of the earth. In fact, in Ephesians 1, um, it says that uh, for He has chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. Before the foundation of the world, before this world was even created, the God of the universe is saying, there's a people out there that I want for Myself. And I'm going to have them. I'm going to call them to Myself. And one of the big themes of all the Scripture is, I will be their God and you will be My people. It's, it's, it's what we call this covenant phrase, this promise that God says, I'm going to gather people to Myself and they're going to be Mine. And so, when you go back to the Old Testament, you see that. And in fact, what is Jesus doing here? He, he says something. He says, He's gathering 12 people. Huh. Have we seen 12 anywhere else in the Bible? I would say yes. Numbers are important. What do we have in the Old Testament? We have the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay? So, this idea of gathering 12 apostles is not just like some random... What number should I get? Jesus is making a statement. He is saying, this is the new Israel. This is, this is the new tribe of Israel. Just like there was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then Jacob had the 12 sons okay, that were part of his covenant people that he called together. Now, he is calling these 12 apostles that are built on that foundation of the Old Testament tribes. But this is the new Israel. This is the church that he's setting up. And so he's a covenant-making God, and he's he's harking back to the Old Testament. Um, he's harking back, and he's saying, just like I was building my church in the Old Testament, the people of God, my people, I'm going to continue that on, and I'm going to expand it and make the promises of Abraham come true through you guys, through this twelve, through these the dirty dozen, so to speak. That's what I'm calling these guys, the dirty dozen. Um, and so, what are they doing? What's their job? Well, look at look in the passage. He says they are to be um, with Jesus. It says uh, in uh, in the appointed twelve, verse fourteen, appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach. And so Jesus is giving a job description uh, for his apostles. 
They are to be with Him. Um, now, back in the day, the rabbis would gather disciples to themselves. The rabbi is teacher. And uh, you know, historically, they would gather followers with them that would be with them, that would he would teach. And so this is what Jesus is doing in, in the structure of the rabbinical uh, college, so to speak. Jesus is gathering His twelve with Him to be with Him, that He would teach and that they would just understand who He is and that they would be prepared to preach the Word. And just like He was preaching the Gospel of the Kingdom, that's what these apostles were going to do. They were going to go out and take the Word of Jesus, the good news of the Kingdom of God, and they were going to preach it to the nations. And not only that, but they were going to have the power of God because they had been with Jesus to cast out demons and to do miraculous signs and wonders, just like Jesus did. And so, this is what He's doing. He is setting the structure of the church up right here. Um, and so the first thing I want to ask you just as we think about application, are you what, what kind of view of the church do you have? What kind of view of the church? Um, are you you know, if you've committed yourself to Jesus, have you also committed yourself to a church? Have you thought about that? Um, there's a lot of people in our culture that believe in Jesus and they're in what we might call the church invisible, like they believe in Jesus, but maybe they're not connected anywhere to a local body or a local church and uh, they're kind of floating around okay and i would say that you know there's something going on in the bible it's implicit and it's explicit and that is that jesus loves his church and he loves not just like the invisible church the big church of like all these christians together who believe in jesus that is true but he but everywhere in the new testament what do you see you see these apostles going out and they're going to little communities and they're preaching the gospel. And guess what? People are saying, yes, I believe in Jesus. And guess what? They're getting baptized and they're joining in that local community, in that little church, wherever it is. And so, in the New Testament, what do we have? We have Paul writing to the church in Romans. We have Paul writing to the church in Corinthians. We have Paul writing to the church in Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Thessalonians. Uh, what, have I, what have I missed? Uh, Philippians, um, Colossians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, First Thessalonians, First Saint Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrew. Okay. Anyway, you get the idea. Jesus, Jesus has sent these apostles out. They preach the gospel, and in Titus, uh, Paul says that um, wherever you go, um, I want you to finish the work that I've started and appoint elders in each town. And so. Again, there was a structure going on where they were saying, guess what? It's important to have people that shepherd just like the Lord Jesus and the apostles shepherded you. And that's really what the elders are all about. They're shepherds to love God's people and to gather and to teach them. And so, here you have this structure being formed back here by Jesus and it's going to continue on. And that's what He's about. So, it's not random, um, but... God really wants us to be committed to His church and not just the big invisible church, but the local church. Um, and so I don't know if, if you've ever done that. Maybe you've never joined the church. Maybe you're a believer. But I'd love to talk to you about that and, and have you consider that. Um, in Ephesians 2, it says this, "...so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God." built on the foundation of the apostles, these guys, and prophets of the Old Testament, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure 
being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And so, this is the church. This is a picture of it. And, uh, you know, church, so church membership is not crazy. It might feel weird because we live in a culture that says, no, there might be a better church out there, so I can't commit myself to that church. Okay? And so, we, we tend to church hop. Okay? We tend to like say, you know what, I bet there's a better church out there, so I'm not going to commit myself fully over here to this church because there's probably a better church out there. Better music, better feel, you know. And so people will live their whole lives just kind of like going, going through their life and never kind of committing to a local body. And so I would ask, I would ask you like, is that right? Is that, is that biblical? Because guess what? There's no perfect churches. And uh, I've been in the church long enough to know that sometimes they just get plain old messy and nasty. Um, there's church fights, there's church splits, there's church warts, there's cancer in church. There's, I mean, churches can be a mess. But at the same time, because whenever you get a bunch of sinners together, guess what? There's going to be problems. But there also, there's also so much grace there because God has specifically created this institution. This isn't the institution of man. This is the institution of Jesus. And He's saying, this is a structure that is going to help people grow in Jesus and love one another and love the world and shine a light to the world. It's going to be a hospital for the sick, gathering people in who need a doctor and who need healing. It's going to be a place where we're going to send out people uh, into all the world to preach the Gospel. And so, um, the New Testament really doesn't know anything about unconnected Christians. It It doesn't speak in those terms at all. It's always implicit or explicit about a particular church in a particular place. One of my one of the singers I like is a guy by the name of Derek Webb. You may have heard of him, but he he has a song about the church, and he says, "If you love me, you will love my bride." And, and he's talking in 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 God's words, so to speak. But he's saying, "If you really love me, if you really love Jesus, you're going to love my bride." John Calvin has a great quote. I think he took it actually from another church father, but he said this, you can't have God as your father without having the church as your mother. You can't have God as your father without having the church as your mother to nurse you and to help you and to help you grow. So think about that. Are you committed to it? Secondly, what else is Jesus doing here? He's building a church made up of all kinds of peculiar, weird people. Okay? He's building a church made up of all kinds of peculiar and weird people. And all kinds of people are in in his core group. It's pretty amazing. Uh, Look at the leaders here. Okay, so let's look at some of these these 12 and some of their names. And, uh, of course, he, he chooses Simon Peter and James and John, Andrew and Philip. Who are these guys? Well, we know from other passages, they're fishermen. They live down by the lake. They have nets. They're probably smelly. Okay, they work on boats all day. And Jesus says, "Hey, I got a great idea. I'm going to build my kingdom. I'm going to I'm going to build it with fishermen. That's a good idea." And so, you would not expect Jesus. I don't think if you were if you were creating a religion or if you were creating an institution or a church, would you go down to the docks and find the fishermen? Do that. You might if you had a, if it was a fishing business. Jesus is is picking some some pretty strange people here. Um, people that we wouldn't expect. You know, these guys were probably not the Harvard-educated scholars. Okay, they didn't go to MIT. 
Um, they probably got 820 on the SAT and they were very thankful for that. Um, you know, they were, they were probably taking eight years to get through college and they were very thankful for that when they got through it. Um, these are not the guys you would expect. Um, and, and this is important because Jesus uses the unexpected. We'll get to that in a bit here. But, um, he's also doing something interesting here. He's renaming them. He's, a couple of them, he, he's, uh, saying, uh, Simon, uh, to whom he gave the name Peter. And in the Bible, that's always important. Whenever you see, like, names or renaming things, that, that's pretty important. And, uh, you know, it probably means, you know, and of course we know that Peter means Petros in the Greek, which is rock. Okay? And so, Jesus was taking Simon, and as you go through the New Testament Gospels, you see Simon is a pretty crazy character. He's very loud. He's the guy that, like, speaks out of his mind and pretty much he has to put his foot in his mouth a lot. And uh, he's, he's pretty unstable. In one way, he's like walking on the water. Yeah, Jesus, I'm going to come like to you on the water. And, you know, he's trying to protect Jesus. And at the same time, Jesus is calling him, get behind me, Satan. I mean, he is, he is this up and down kind of wavy character. And Jesus says, your name is Peter, the rock. You know, Jesus is doing something there. He's saying that I'm going to your confession of me, which he does later on, we're going to see, is what it's all about, Peter. Your confession of me, your faith in me, and you are the rock. That confession of me as God is the rock. And uh, you see um, these other brothers, the sons of thunder. Apparently that was maybe their nickname that they already brought to the table. But again, this kind of shows you a little bit about these guys. These guys are not quiet, silent types. They're the sons of thunder. I don't know if we got Ray Lewis and Elodie Nada coming in. So I don't know what we got here. Sorry, Redskins fans. But uh, the, the issue is we got some we got some probably big guys. They're boisterous. They're fishermen. They're tough guys. They're the sons of thunder. I mean, that's a great nickname. And uh, and Jesus is saying, I want you as part of my core group. I want you to be my apostles. Look at the rest of these guys. We looked at Matthew last week. Matthew was a tax collector. He's a trader. He's hated by the Jewish people because he's in connection with the Roman authorities. Uh, you know, he's he's a cheat. He's a thief. And Jesus is saying, "Yes, Matthew, you're you're on my team. Come on in." Um, he's uh, there's this other guy, another Simon, who was called the Zealot. Okay, Simon the Zealot. Apparently, this was kind of your radical, like political guy who's like always trying to start a cause and. You know, he's he has a reputation for being somebody who gets you know a protester, one who's hoping for a revolution. And uh, would you really want that kind of person in your organization to make it a stable, growing institution? Jesus is just out of the box here uh, with people in his organization. Um, Thomas, we know later on. What, who who do we know him as? Doubting Thomas. Okay, without any faith. Okay, here's one that was with Jesus, but yet he saw all these miracles, saw everything, but at the end of the day, he was like, I don't think it's true. I doubt you. And Jesus says, come on. And not only that, but he takes another guy, Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot, the betrayer. In fact, his name uh, in Aramaic means dagger. But he was the one that basically gave the dagger to Jesus. And so this is really a ragtag crew that Jesus has gathered. 
And uh, you might ask, well, why is he doing that? And I think, you know, we have to see this as um, God's ways are not our ways. We would expect there's the theologically educated, the people in the know, the religious population, they're going to be the ones that start the church. No. Jesus is bringing fishermen. And in 1 Corinthians, Paul says this, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. Even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are. And so no human being might boast in the presence of God. He chose fishermen. He chose cheats and tax collectors. He chose a zealot. He chose a revolutionary guy. He chose a guy who spoke out of his mind. He chose a doubter. He chose a betrayer. Why did he do this? To show us that it's not about them. But it's about God's Spirit and how He's going to take them and He's going to give Him His grace and mercy. And He is going to build them into the kind of people that He wants them to be. And it's and it's saying uh, in Deuteronomy seven, there's this question why did why did God choose Israel? You know, was it because they were the greatest of nations? Was it because they were big and they had a powerful army? And it says no. He says, no, I choose you. Why? Because you were the least of people. Because you were the least of people. You weren't the smartest. You weren't the best looking. You weren't. You didn't have 1,600 or whatever on your SATs. Is it 1,600 now? I don't even know what it is. What is it? 2,400 now. Goodness. Uh, maybe I would do better then. Uh, um, but He didn't choose them because that. He chose them. Why? Because He loved them. And He loved to show His grace and mercy to the least of these. To people that don't have it all together. And that's the truly wonderful thing about the Gospel. <laughs> that's, that's why it's so different than anything this world could offer. The good news is that Jesus chooses the least. The least. <laughs> the weak. The wounded. The people with problems. The people that fail. Uh, the people that change their major four times. Think, and their parents think you're crazy. Uh, the, the, those who didn't, those who who aren't the smartest, okay. Uh, <laughs> it's it, and so the part of part of understanding this is like, do you do you consider yourself one of those people? Because Jesus is saying that the gospel, unless you get this idea that that you have to be broken and you you can't be the best, it's not about you. It's about God's call on you, not about who you are. It's not about who you are. It's about God's call and what He has done. The Gospel is not about yourself. That's the beauty of it. That's the glory of it. That's the freedom of it. It's about Him and what He's done. And and in Psalms uh, 116.6, it says, "...the Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, He saved me." This is a ragtag bunch of guys that were brought low and Jesus is grabbing them and saying, "...come with Me." Come with me. I'm going to make you fishers of men. I'm going to do amazing things to you. Just a side note, I think that's one of the reasons why I believe in the Bible. One of the reasons why I believe in Christianity is because it's so different than the way the world thinks. If you were to create a religion, would you do it this way? Think about that. Well, Jesus did it this way. Jesus did it this way. He did it. I don't think we could write that. 
Okay? It's one of the things where I say the Bible's not made up. <laughs> Something else is going on here. The Holy Spirit is doing an amazing work in very crazy, weak people. These apostles. So if you feel weak and wounded, sick and sore, this Gospel's for you. Jesus is calling you. He's saying, you can be one of mine. You're in my team. If you're feeling like, hey, i got it all together. I don't need that. Well, you've answered the question. You don't really need the Gospel. The Gospel and Jesus' call is for weak people who see that they're not wise, that they're not, they're not good. The last thing is this. He ultimately... He's loving His enemies in this. What else is Jesus doing? He's loving His enemies. And that harkens back to this whole issue of, of uh, choosing Judas Iscariot as one of the twelve. Why did He do that? I'm not an English major here, but in this passage, He specifically, Mark in 19 says, and He chose Judas Iscariot, comma, who betrayed Him. Okay? This is a foreshadowing. Okay? Later on, we will know the rest of the story. And you guys already know it if you've been around the Bible. But um, he chooses his betrayer. Jesus is God. He knows that Judas is going to betray him into the hands of the religious who will then take him to the Romans and who will then ultimately take him to the cross. He knew that Judas would be with him and he would stab him in the back. And yet, he loved him. He has him in his ministry. He has him in his group. He, he's there with him through three years of ministry. And why did he do that? Why? why? Because um, it's really a picture of you and me. It's really a picture of you and me. In fact, uh, I was thinking about the Lady Gaga song about Judas. If you have listened to that. But she says, I'm just a holy fool. Oh, baby, it's so cruel. But I'm still in love with Judas, baby. Jesus is my virtue and Judas is the demon I cling to. I don't know if you've ever watched that video. It's, a, it's all biblical. I mean, it's, it's all biblical motif. Okay? It's not the Bible, but... She's saying something there. She's saying something there that is true within her heart. Judas, she says, Jesus is my virtue and Judas is the demon I cling to. That she knows her heart. And she knows that she wants to do wrong. She wants to cling to Judas, the betrayer. And I think if you and I are honest... We see that Judas in ourselves. We see that betrayer. We see that one who, you know, when it's all on the line, we fail. When it's all on the line, we do the wrong thing. When it's all on the line to give glory to Jesus, we give glory to self. Or we totally forget Him. We don't even think about Him. We just want to do what we want to do. That's betrayal. That's the Judas aspect. And so... What we have here is Jesus showing His great love for a sinner like Judas, even though He knew that Judas was going to betray Him into the hands and that He would go to the cross because the cross is the climax of Jesus' journey. The cross came about because Jesus was dying for people that were sinners like Judas Iscariot and like you and me. That's why Jesus came and that's what He was doing. And so we read earlier, but while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
While we were yet sinners, while we were just like Judas who betrayed Him, Jesus loved us and died for us. That's why He came. That's why He gathered this ragtag group, including Judas. Including a doubter like Thomas. Including somebody who put his foot in his mouth like Peter. Including the sons of thunders that were probably wild guys. Jesus is saying, I love you. I've come for you. I've come to die for you. I'm going to build My kingdom through you. And it's going to expand. And it's going to be amazing. And then this last thing is this. This is just kind of interesting. So, Jesus calls all these guys. He goes home. The crowds are following Him. And His family totally thinks He's crazy. Then He went home. The crowd gathered again, 20 and 21, so that they could not even eat. And when His family heard it, they, weren't, they, were, they went out to seize Him, for they were saying, He is out of His mind. He is out of His mind. There's two families here this passage. There's the family of God and there's the family, our physical family, the family of man, so to speak. Jesus had just created the family of God by calling these apostles. That's the true family. That's like the true healthy family. But His own family rejected Him. They said, you're out of your mind. Like, what are you doing? You're gathering all these people together. There's all these crowds following you. They didn't understand. Later, later, we know that his mother did. But at this point, they thought he was totally crazy and out of his mind. Call 911. Get the guys with the straight jackets because we got a loony running around on the farm right here. Let's get him. What is your response to this? Where are you? Do you see yourself as weak and wounded, sick and sore? As part of these weak people that Jesus gathered? And even though you don't understand everything, you know that it's right? Or do you take the view of His family who thought that they were just out of their mind? I was talking with some of the folks here on campus in one of the... uh, I guess the atheist group, they were out front today and had a good, just good conversation. I never know what to say, but I just feel like when I left there, they probably just thought that I was out of my mind, you know, just because I believe in the Bible and I believe in Jesus, and, uh, but I can't prove it in, in the way that they would like it proven. If you're a Christian, guess what? That's never going away. People are going to say you're crazy, people are going to say you're loony. People are going to say it doesn't make sense. And that's how Jesus was. But guess what? It does make sense. It does make sense. It's who you are. You're made in His image. You're made for Him. And even though the whole world is saying, you are loony, you are crazy, what are you doing in the stamp having a meeting? Jesus has revealed Himself. It's true. I can't explain it. I'm not going to be able to put it under the microscope, but I'm going to say to you that it fits with the reality of life. It answers the big questions of life. And it is credible. And it is historic. And it is objective. No matter what you say. Are you crazy? Yes. Let me pray. Father, thanks for uh, Your good gifts to us. Especially Your Word. 
which we can uh, look at and think about. Pray that it would uh, stir us up inside, that it would uh, show us our sin and show us the grace of Jesus and His love for us. I pray especially for that, that You would help us to know You. Uh, Lord, help us with the struggles we might be going through. Um, struggles even with our own family, maybe over our faith, over things that You went through. Help us to know that You are there and You will help us. Thank You that You're building Your kingdom. Uh, thank You that You are building it through weak people uh, because You're a strong Savior. And we give You praise. In Jesus' name, Amen.